Book 11, Chapter 2 of A Class Book of Old Testament History by G. F. McClear. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cliff Stone of Sydney, Australia. A Class Book of Old Testament History by G. F. McClear. Book 11, Chapter 2. Reigns of Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, and Darius. Daniels chapter 4 through 6, B.C. 570 to 538. Though from the incident just recorded, Nebuchadnezzar had learnt to know the greatness of the God of Israel, a still sterner lesson was needed to teach him his own position in reference to the Most High. He was by far the greatest of the Babylonian monarchs. His name was known his power was dreaded throughout the entire eastern world. He was the conqueror of Syria, of Phoenicia, of Tyre, of Palestine. He was the adorner and beautifier of his native land. He built noble cities, he raised stately temples, he renovated, fortified, almost rebuilt Babylon. He constructed quays and breakwaters, reservoirs, canals and aqueducts on a scale of grandeur and magnificence surpassing everything of the kind recorded in history. Perhaps no single man ever left behind him as his memorial one half the amount of building which was erected by this king. The palace he built for himself in Babylon with its triple walls, its hanging gardens, its plated pillars, was regarded in his day as one of the wonders of the world, while even at the present hour it is his name which is stamped upon well-nigh every brick found amidst the ruins of his capital. Amidst all this earthly grandeur, he had grown and become strong. His greatness reached unto heaven and his dominion to the end of the earth. Inflated with pride, he became a god unto himself, and knew not that he was but an instrument in the hand of him who ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. Daniel 4 verse 17 this was the lesson he had now to learn, and he learned it on this wise. One night he dreamed a dream which none of his wise men could interpret. Daniel, therefore, was once more summoned before him, and listened while the monarch revealed the vision of the night. I saw, he said, and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and the height thereof was great, reaching unto the heaven, and the sight thereof to the end of all the earth. The leaves thereof were fair, and the fruit much, and the beasts of the field had shadow under it, and the fowls of heaven dwelt in the boughs thereof, and all flesh fed of it. And behold, there came down from heaven a watcher, and a holy one, who cried out, Hew down the tree, and cut off its branches, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts, and let his heart be changed from man's, and let a beast heart be given him, and let seven times pass over him. Such was the vision. What was the interpretation? Daniel did not disguise it from the monarch. The tree was no other than himself. For him there was a great trial in store. A day was near when he would be cast down from his place of power, would be driven from the society of men, and would have his dwelling with the beasts of the field, until seven times had passed over him, and he revived anew for a truth that not he, 
but the Most High ruled in the kingdom of heaven and gave dominion and power to whomsoever he would. Daniel 4 verses 1 through 27 Thus a warning was given him, but it was disregarded. Nebuchadnezzar did not, as Daniel bade, break off his sins by righteousness and his iniquities by shewing mercy to the poor. Twelve months afterwards he was walking in that glorious palace which he had made for himself, and in a moment of overweening pride he cried, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom of the might of my power and for the honour of my majesty? The words had hardly been spoken when his doom came upon him. The thick pall of madness settled down upon him. The mind of a man departed from him, and that of a beast entered in. Casting off his robes, he refused the food and habitation of men. Mingling with the cattle in the fields, he remained exposed to the weather day and night, till his hair was grown as eagle's feathers, and his nails like bird's claws. Daniel 4, verse 33. Meanwhile, as seems most probable, his queen Nitocris administered his kingdom, and at length, after an interval of four or perhaps seven years, as he did not scruple to declare in a proclamation addressed to his people, he came to himself. His understanding came back to him. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and blessed the Most High, and praised and honoured him that liveth forever. With his reason... The glory also of his kingdom returned. His counsellors and his lords sought him and brought him back to his palace, and excellent majesty was added unto him. Resuming his great works, which had been suspended, he added fresh wonders in his old age to the marvellous constructions of his manhood, and after a reign of forty-three years, died, B.C. 561, at the advanced age of eighty-three or eighty-four, and was succeeded by his son, Evil Merodach. Shortly after his accession, the new king released Jehoiakim, king of Judah, from the prison where he had been confined for thirty-eight years, set his throne above the throne of the other captive princes at Babylon, and gave him a daily allowance from the royal table. 2 Kings 25 verses 27 to 30 But in the course of one or two years he was assassinated, and one of the conspirators, Neriglasar or Neragasolasar, usurped the throne, B.C. 559, and held the government for three years and a half, bequeathing it to his son, Laboroso Arkod, B.C. 556. In the course of nine months, he was succeeded by Nabonidus or Labinitus, B.C. 555. Meanwhile, the neighbouring kingdom of Media had been the scene of a great revolution, in which Babylon eventually became involved. Mandane, a daughter of Astyages, who mounted the Median throne B.C. 595, married Cambyses, a Persian of the royal family of the Archaemenidae, and became the mother of Cyrus the Great. Alienated by his tyranny and wearying of his rule of a large body of the subjects of Astyages, transferred their affections to this prince, who, heading a revolt, defeated and captured the Median king near Pasargadae, B.C. 559, and obtained the supremacy over the combined Medo-Persic Empire. At first, the conqueror did not march against Babylon, and Nabonidus formed an alliance with Croesus, king of Lydia, and employed himself diligently in strengthening his capital, storing up provisions, 
and erecting defensive works. But Cyrus gained a complete victory over the Lydian king, BC 546, and at the end of about six years, appeared before Babylon. After a single engagement, he drove the Babylonians within their defences, Jeremiah 51, verse 30, and commenced a regular siege. At this time, Nabonidus does not appear to have been present in his capital, having fled to Borsippa after the late engagement. But he left behind him a son, whom he had, a few years before, admitted to a share in the government. This was Belshazzar, the Belshazzar of the scripture narrative. This prince made a great feast for a thousand of his nobles, his wives and concubines, and high estates of the realm, in the midst of which, heated with wine, he commanded that all the gold and silver vessels, which his grandfather Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the plunder of Jerusalem, should be brought forth, and from them the assembled guests drank in honour of their various gods. But in the midst of their festivities, the finger of a man's hand was seen to write mysterious words on the plaster of the palace wall. Instantly, all the brightness of Belshazzar's countenance vanished. His thoughts troubled him. His knees smote one against the other. With loud voice he bade the astrologers and soothsayers be brought before him, and promised honour, place and power to any that would interpret the mystic words. But this none of the wise men of his realm could do. Amidst the alarm and confusion, the Queen Mother now entered and advised that they should consult Daniel, who seems at this time to have been living in close retirement. Accordingly he was brought in, and after declining all the monarch's promised rewards, sternly rebuked him, for that though he knew all that his grandfather's pride had brought down upon him, he had yet lifted up himself against the Lord of Heaven, and in impious triumph profaned the sacred vessels once dedicated to that God who now had sent him this message. Mene, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tekel, thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Daniel 5 verses 25 to 28. That very night the prophet's words were fulfilled. Having diverted the course of the Euphrates, Cyrus assaulted the city from the dry bed of the river, captured it and slew Belshazzar, B.C. 538, thus fulfilling the prophecies of Isaiah, Isaiah 21 verse 9, and Jeremiah, Jeremiah 51 verses 31 to 39. Hastening on to other conquests, Cyrus entrusted the captured city to a viceroy, known in scripture as Darius the Mede. He signalised his decision to power by setting over the kingdom of Babylon proper, either a body of councillors or provincial governors, 120 princes, subject to the authority of three presidents, of whom Daniel, now far advanced in life, was chief. Daniel 6 and verse 2. Old and grey-headed, he still remained faithful to the God of his fathers, and now moved with jealousy at his elevation, the other nobles resolved to compass his ruin. Unable to accuse him of any failure in the administration of the kingdom, they persuaded Darius to pass an irrevocable decree, like the law of the Medes and the Persians, ordaining that for a space of thirty days no one should offer up any petition to any god or man save to the monarch himself, 
on penalty of being flung into the den of lions. This decree Daniel regarded not. Steadfast in the religion of his fathers, he opened the windows of his chamber towards Jerusalem, and three times a day, as had been his wont, offered up his prayers to his God. The nobles now had the opportunity they had coveted, and they reported his conduct to the king. Sorely against his will, and after fruitless efforts to deliver him from their malice, Darius bade the sentence be executed. The aged prophet was flung into the den, the mouth thereof was closed and sealed with the royal signet, and the signet of the lords and princes. Fasting and sleepless, the monarch passed the night. Neither were instruments of music brought before him. Rising early in the morning, he sought out the lion's den, and to his great joy found that Jehovah had protected his faithful servant, had sent his angel, and shut the lion's mouths. Thereupon, he ordered him to be brought forth, and then issued instructions for the immediate execution of his accusers, who, according to the cruel but usual oriental custom, were, with their wives and children, flung into the den and torn to pieces. Not content with this, he proclaimed that throughout his vast empire, adoration should be paid to the God of Daniel, the living God, steadfast forever, who worketh signs and wonders in heaven, and hath delivered his servant from the power of the lions. Daniel 6, verse 27. End of Book 11, Chapter 2 of A Class Book of Old Testament History by G. F. McClear Recorded by Cliffstone of Sydney, Australia.